Kevin Clark has 15 years of experience in IT service. He's a self-described passionate advocate for excellence and quality in service management. He's interested in the machinery behind good service, considered processes, people, and tools. Welcome to Ticket Volume, news and information for improving IT experiences, powered by Invigate. Welcome, Kevin. Welcome to Ticket Volume. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. You've got some great experience with HP and a few large and small consulting firms. And I saw on your LinkedIn profile that you took a break for a round-the-world tour, which I really want to hear more about. But <laughs> before we get into that, with your experience at those various shops, what advice can you give to people that are going from like an internal IT role to maybe what we call the dark side, right? The, the consulting side uh, of the industry. Do you have... Any uh, advice you can give to people making to look the jump? I think the important thing with any job really is to try and learn something and take something away from everything that you do. So I've had a weird career. I've done lots of different things and I've done things backwards in some places. I, I come from a customer service background. So that's where I consider my career to have started when I was working in retail in a supermarket and as a bartender, because that's where I really learned my, my customer service chops. And I'm of the opinion that you can take those experiences and you can apply them to, to any role, as long as you're, you're listening to what's happening around you and paying attention to the lessons that present themselves to you. If I think about my customer service experience, that taught me how best to talk to people about what they actually need rather than you know, what they're asking for. As a bartender, you have a lot of that, trying to understand what people are really looking for in their experience, as opposed to what they might've asked for or what they might've seen on the menu. So not everything that you, you can give to someone is necessarily going to be on the menu, as they say. And if I talk about like my early IT experience, I started on a service desk. That was my first entry point into IT proper. I was already a customer service professional at that stage. And I think the service desk experience really taught me a lot about how to think logically and work through problems and issues. Those two things have been key to my career. As long as you can put those two things together or put the, the Lego blocks that you have together, then you should be able to build something greater than where you've come from and where you're going to go. Yeah, I love that. That's great advice. It really is similar to those service industries. I think a lot of us probably started that way. Like I worked a bunch of time at a Subway restaurant and you do, you learn so much about working with people and meeting their expectations, like trying to feel that out and then meeting it. It really is difficult. I can't imagine the bartender. That's definitely a unique one where you're right. People they're asking for one thing, they might actually mean something else completely. Totally fascinating aspect of that. You know, with sandwiches, it's okay, I want mayo or I want mustard, like that's it. But a lot of times in a bar situation, people are going to be thinking something completely different. I like that. Well, Subway is a great example of a, a place where process is really strong as mm -hmm. well. I said people might not necessarily want what's on the menu. In in a Subway, they are constructing the service that they want. They are, they are asking for all the components to be put together in the way that they want it to be done. So there's some strong process lessons in a place like that and some customer service lessons, I imagine, as well. <laughs> yeah. When they say extra pickles, they mean it. You give those people <laughs> extra pickles. <laughs> And it's really not that difficult, but you do, you end up, you end up reverse engineering a lot of stuff and saying, okay, how can we improve this process? And I was in a unique situation where we had a drive-through and we did delivery, which is really strange for a, a sandwich shop in the States anyway. 
Yeah. And so coming up with the forms and making sure we've got checklists so that we don't send the delivery guy out with bad food or the wrong order and just making sure everything is right. It's yeah. similar. It's so similar to everything in IT. And I liked your first point the most. Find something that you like in the role, right? I think that's what you were alluding to at the beginning. If you don't enjoy it, then you should probably be exploring other options. Yeah, and look for lessons everywhere as well. When I first made the jump into IT, after a couple of years, I discovered ITIL and started doing a lot of ITIL training and, and reading. I've got the books are up here on the shelf um, behind me. I got very interested in that concept of the processes that sit behind ITIL. And one of the things that I did to help it make sense to me as, a, as an ex-bartender is I would, in my mind, as a mental exercise, design a bar according to ITIL principles, what's the change management ramifications of making drinks and how does service catalog uh, relate to a drinks menu and, and how you would you know set up your configuration, like how you would set up your bar, the back bar and things like that. So I use that to help make a lot of those things more relevant to my experience. And I used to use that in consulting as well. I would say in a bar, this is how, this is the equivalent sort of concept. And that helped get a lot of cut through with people who maybe hadn't had as much experience or, or done as much training in, in the ITIL realm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I also see in your history a lot of ESM, enterprise service management, with one role specifically focused on it. And that is such a, it's not necessarily cutting edge anymore for our industry, but it's still something that's really important. And I still feel like there's a lot of work to be done in that space. So what do you think about ESM? Are we making good progress? What, what do you like about those projects? So I, I think IT and in particular, the ITIL world, we've been doing this stuff for a long time and we've got some really good ideas about, you know, how ticket flows work, how processes work and how categorization could work and things like that. And one thing that I find very interesting when you start to talk to other parts of, of the business, you know, use the term the business, when you talk to other parts of the business, they have a vague idea of how some of this stuff works, but they're not nearly as... Um, progressed as I think IT is. IT has learnt this language, speaks it internally, understands the concepts, but maybe struggles to explain that to other parts of the business or other stakeholders who would benefit from a lot of those practices. I think that's a very important thing for us as um, service management professionals to really start to understand is that we might talk about SLAs or we might talk about workflows and we know what we mean but we struggle to communicate that to, to other people when we start to try and take our practices broader into other parts of you know, the organizations that we work in. Uh, well it's not put. a specific example, but I think there's a general lesson there. No, that's great. I do think that's a specific example. I think it's really great too. Uh, a good point that we've had this time to stop and think about and, and go through the learning cycles. And I don't know if you've ever done a simulation like the Apollo simulation or something like that. Uh, these simulations are great because it's a, it's a great way to learn that just adding a little database to an operation or to a process and how that can affect agent productivity. Every time that I get an HR case, I go check this database to see if it's happened before follow the same process like that those little details that we learned from itil they really do come in handy in those other industries i really like that it's a great point and we <laughs> what's funny to me is that we hate itil at the same time right there's this difficult part of okay itil is this best practice and 
it's a lot of people buy into it holistically and become zealots and you have to do everything by the book. But in reality, it does serve us well. If not to do that stuff and you can take people through the practice of, of process improvement, you realize, okay, this is actually really valuable. Yeah, they're tried and true things. They may not work always, but there's always lessons to be taken from them. Mm. And when you read the books, the Holy Scriptures, it does say, don't use this as a blueprint necessarily, mm -hmm. use it as a guidance framework. Yeah, yeah. I remember when they switched best practice to good practice. And that, just that little change was like, okay, yes, we don't have to follow this because it's the best way of doing it. Like you said, there's a lesson to be learned in there. So yep. what about this five month round the world adventure? What happened there? Did you take off from work? Did you actually circumnavigate the globe? Yeah, pretty much. So it was effectively my honeymoon. So I, I got married in, in 2010. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. And we waited a little while before we so, sort of took a time off and decided to go on a, a big tour of, of everywhere. We, you know, we hadn't, hadn't traveled a great deal here in the Southern Hemisphere. I'm in Australia, obviously, if you hadn't checked check the accent. <laughs> um, we thought we would take a trip around the, the Northern Hemisphere and, and see Europe and America. We did something like 15 countries, maybe. I've got it. I do have a spreadsheet somewhere that has like everything meticulously <laughs> documented. Uh, yeah, so we flew to Europe and spent time in all the sort of normal European countries that you would go to, like England, France, Ireland, Switzerland, everywhere. And then we spent effectively a month in, in North America, which was great as well, and New York and what's the other coast, the, the West Coast. And we, yeah, in California. California. We drove up from, from San Francisco all the way to Vancouver, and that was excellent. I have such a love for that landscape. It's just, it's just, it's a beautiful part of the world. Excellent. Well put. I just... <laughs> Probably a lot of Americans listening who haven't done that sort of drive and can highly recommend. I love that coast. Uh, all coasts are pretty good <laughs> in general. But yeah, if you can definitely. What a great opportunity to see some countries. Love that. Some other experiences, you've got HP in your background. Obviously, right now you're working on a ton of ServiceNow stuff. So what do you see as being part of those ecosystems and being in this industry long enough to see those tools mature and change shape? What do you think makes a great solution? What do you think really makes an ITSM solution sing? Wow, okay. Um, I think they've all been very powerful for a very long time. Having been part of the evolution of a lot of these tools, so I, I started my tool journey. I think the first tool I would have worked on as an agent would have been BMC Remedy a long, long time ago. I didn't have much visibility into the, the back end of it and how you go about building it. But soon after that, I moved on to working on the HP service desk tool, the OpenView service desk tool. And that's kind of the first time I really got my hands dirty doing technical stuff. And I think, you know, the, the fundamental power of those systems, the, you know, the, the workflow based engines with, with business rules that can, you know, can drive um, database behavior and the, you know, the strength of the databases behind them. I think a lot of that stuff hasn't really changed. But when you look at platforms like ServiceNow and just the pure spread, I mean, I'm a ServiceNow partner and, and I've been working in ServiceNow for a long time. So I, I tend to be very ServiceNow centric with the, with the way I talk about these things. But the amount of capability that's just been bolted on top of what is fundamentally a, a workflow database forms engine is, is incredible. And it's really great to see so many other platforms that are doing these things really well as well. I was, I was chatting to a friend of mine who decided that he would pursue the Microsoft Power Apps yeah. platform. Um, cool. which, which has appeared a couple of times, you know, sort of around the sides of my career. I've encountered it a few times and it looks very, very powerful. It looks very similar to a lot of the fundamental things that 
platforms like ServiceNow and Salesforce are trying to do. And I think it's excellent that we have so many different options. I think it's also terrible that we have so many different options. So many businesses <laughs> are going to struggle to decide which platform that they should hook their business to. And there's probably they're probably all good. They're probably all a good choice as long as you you architect them well and you have a good plan for how you're going to use them. If you remember, I, I, this is a bit of a ramble, so I'm, I'm just going to go off on a tangent it. a little bit here. Great. Go for it, man. <laughs> In the early days of my career, a lot of the, the systems that were being used were things like Novell Netware for running the infrastructure and the file systems and everything. Yeah. Um, and also, Accounts, yeah, permissions. And also Lotus Notes was a big part of my, my early career. My early support career was supporting people who were on these monolithic Lotus Notes systems. And for the listeners who haven't encountered Lotus Notes, it's like a ServiceNow kind of platform. It's a, you know, it's a database engine. It's got all the tools on top of it. And in the day, you used to be able to get business units in an organization to build their own applications on this platform. Sounds very familiar. Like we're not <laughs> breaking new ground with platforms like ServiceNow and Power Apps. It's been done before. But one of the big problems that happened with a lot of those systems, Lotus Notes definitely had this problem, is that business unit would build something the people who built it, very, very clever people, would move on. They would go and do something else. But the application remained on the platform. This is not a new problem that we've had. And it's a problem that ServiceNow and some of those other platforms are likely to encounter as well. You know, the, this ownership and governance. I think that's a very important thing for us as ITSM or ESM people to just keep an eye on, is keep an eye on the maintainability and the support of those systems that we build on these platforms that are so powerful. Really, really good advice. Uh, I think, you know, we're both acquaintances with some of the same people. Robert Federick, specifically, he's one of those guys who will follow a consultant at a client and just call them out for poor architecture, poor documentation, and then leaving the client high and dry. It happens internally too. Like you said, people will grow a system and then move on. I think you've offered some really good advice there. Just Keep an eye on that maintainability and provide good documentation and good control and governance over your own stuff so that you can uh, continue to grow without failure. There is the other side, of course, where you're buying a system from a vendor and you don't have the option to change anything. And that is equally terrible. I mean, you know, that's handcuffs behind the back. You really can't do anything. So one thing that I've also seen that really helps in this day and age of tools is just selecting ones that have open APIs and the ability to connect with competitors' tools, just to build your own ecosystem gives you that much more flexibility. It does create additional complexity yep. that you need to watch out for, but I still really like the advice, Kevin. Good job. Yeah. There's value in constraints with a lot of these systems. Mm. So as much as they do give you all of the options, I think you have to choose which options you pursue. Like making a decision about what user interface system you're going to use in the ServiceNow world. You know, are we going to stick to Service Portal? Are we going to invest in doing Next UI sort of stuff? So deciding what your constraints are going to be as a platform provider, as an organization, stick to those constraints, and then you know what rules you can bend and you can make explicit decisions about when you're going to move around the edges of those constraints that you've decided upon. Exactly. Exactly. 
Okay, Kevin, where can people connect with you or learn more? So I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, Kevin Clark. There's probably a lot of Kevin Clarks out there. I feel it would be a, a commonish name. Or also I have my own domain, kevinclark.com.au. So Kevin at kevinclark.com.au will, will get through to me. Excellent. Thank you so much for being a guest, Kevin. No worries. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. Great having you. And for our audience, thanks for hitting play and I'll see you around the way. Post a review and send feedback about our podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. I'm your host, Matt Barron. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Facebook as Matt Barron. Thank you for listening to Ticket Volume, a podcast powered by Invigate.